It's good to see you guys. There's a, there really is no place like this place. Um, not because you guys are super cool, because you are, but just the depth of, of the people who are in this room is just really encouraging, and it's just not found very many places. And um, so I just appreciate you guys. appreciate the how hard people work here on their lives, and it just makes it so inviting to tackle the truths of God. And so I just um, missed you guys on that level. We just returned uh, after a month in Santa Barbara. That's kind of our retreat place where we love. Um, I go down there and I work on some new projects. I'm sorting up a really big surprise, a big project I'm passionate about for El Salvador. And uh, so been doing some crazy stuff there. I can't wait to unveil it. It's really super top secret stuff, but it's going to be exciting. So um, so worked on that and worked on some uh, uh, some new areas of our software startup and, um, and just also changed my routine. And uh, those times away are just really... Uh, important for us and our family to kind of break the mold and break the routine and, and do new things. And so thank you for welcoming us back. It's good to see you guys. And I'm excited to preach tonight. It's been over a month. So if you're new here for the past uh, month, I occasionally preach here. So hopefully I still know how to do it. <clears throat> and uh, so the passage tonight, I'm going to change up my teaching stuff the next couple weeks. And the passage I want to give to you tonight is Daniel chapter 11, verse 32. And it says this. And the people who know God will display strength and take action. The people who know God will display strength and take action. Now, Daniel chapter 11 is a really big bummer of a chapter. Because God is here, and he's, he's prophesying through Daniel. And it's all bummer news. If you read it, it's like, the army from the north, oh, the army from the south, the multitude from the west, the tribe and the army from the east. And it's just this huge, big bummer of list of all this calamity that's about to come on Israel. And then it stops with verse 32, and it says, But the people who know God will display strength and take action. The answer to adversity was in the response of who knows God and how they know God. There's a quote that I heard several years ago when I was attending an event, and it's rattled me ever since. It says this, it says, The greatest hindrance to God's mission on earth is God's own people failing to behave like God's own people. Let me say that again. The greatest hindrance to God's mission on earth is God's people failing to behave like God's own people. Daniel eleven thirty two. But the people who know God will display strength and take action. Anybody notice like the Christian angst in the world right now? Everyone's like, I gotta kick butt in Jesus' name. Like I'm all in that train too, right? So I'm like all about that. But there's a huge drive of people to, like, take action, let's change the world, let's be strong, the nine tips to sucking less. Like, I'm all about that, for sure. And we read that and, like, display strength, yeah! Take action, yes! We're all about it. And there's so much angst in the the world around these things, and people want to. And so many people want to display strength and take action, but they can't. Why? It's because they can't get past the first step, which is knowing God. 
People actually crave something, taking action, displaying strength. They crave something they're not capable of because they've never developed the relationship that God designed them to have. And so the whole passage, the whole truth of the scripture is unlocked by the first part, which is knowing God. So what does it mean to know God? I, I am, I'm keenly aware that to preach a message to most believers about knowing God feels pretty obvious. I, I get that. But my story hit me across the face this morning. Because I grew up in a Christian home. I grew up with both parents loving Jesus, involved in many church plants, in leadership, having church groups at our house. I went to every Young Life group. I went to every power team meeting. I went to every church camp. I went to every Bible camp. I went to a Christian college. I, I was the most plugged-in person in the church you could imagine. And I knew God, but I didn't know him. Did you hear me? I, I knew God, but I didn't know him. There's a lot, there is a huge difference between being saved and knowing God. I was saved, don't get me wrong. I was saved really, really on in life, but I didn't know God. And the world, like me, is filled with people who know the name of Jesus, know a whole lot about this God, Father, and all the things in the scriptures, but they actually don't recognize his voice. I see a problem there. I see a problem. We can tell people everything there is to know about Jesus. We can be his stories about Jesus, but we cannot recognize his voice. And so that's what I want to talk about tonight. It's the difference between God and knowing God. How do we wind up with millions of Christians who are saved but don't have a relationship with Jesus? Because it's the difference between being saved and having a relationship with God. I think it's largely because of this is that many people, I would say probably the majority of Christians, did not get saved because they loved Jesus, but because they were scared of hell. The entire Left Behind series, I know that movie's out right now. I'm not going to go see it. I actually don't participate in, and you guys feel free to be entertained however you want. But for me, I'm not about the Left Behind series, personally. And, and more, like, as I kind of develop my relationship with Jesus, the more, like, it, it, it I don't, doesn't fit well with me a whole lot. So, but if you were all about it, and who's, like, a product of, like, the 80s, the late 80s, like, the Left Behind series in the books? Yeah, so I get it. Like, we had, like, all 14 volumes or something. Wasn't Kirk Cameron in, like, a couple of, like, the movies and some? Whatever. But the whole premise, the whole premise, right, it's based on fear. The whole premise of God and salvation is based on fear. Last night, I had a really weird thing happen to me. I was uh, driving home from, seeing a friend of our little girl who's three years old, newly. And uh, we were driving and we had to go pick up some formula for our baby. And so um, I was driving home and there's like a CVS by our house. And so I was like looking at the clock, it's like, oh, it's like 9.08. And so, like I, like, I can't see the sign, so, like, I park, and I race out, and I, I, I go, what? And I look at the sign, like, oh, okay, cool, it's still open. So I run back, and I open the door to my daughter. I'm, like, gone for, like, five and a half seconds. My daughter bawling in the back. I'm like, what's wrong? She's like, I wanted to go with you. I was like, honey, I would never leave you. I would never leave you. I would never, ever do that. And so, like, it occurred to me, the whole premise of, like, you need to love God because if you don't, he's going to leave you behind. It just doesn't sit with me. And here's why, is that knowing God and loving God has to extend past not going to hell. 
If you're going to fall in love with the Creator, it has to be designed out of relationship, not the fact that I don't want to burn in hell. Someone say amen here. And if your entire motivation for why you're here, if your entire motivation why you know God and why you have professed Christianity, and if your entire motivation for living, quote-unquote, as a Christian is to not go to hell, I'm telling you, you don't know God. And if that is your motivation, I promise you you're setting yourself up to live a miserable existence. You might think that because you can run really fast from hell that you're running to God, you're wrong. Just because you run away from hell does not mean you're running to God. You might be saved, but you definitely don't know Jesus. And Jesus, this is what's interesting. Jesus actually makes mention in the scriptures about how people are brought into the kingdom, how people are brought to God, how people are made aware of the truth and of the scriptures. Check this out. This is Matthew chapter 23, verse 15. It says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Woe to you, scribes, Pharisees, you hypocrites, because you travel around on sea and land and make one conversion, and when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourselves. You travel around sea and land, you make a conversion, and you make him twice as much a son of hell as you. That's a pretty big bummer. That's not a compliment. These are the, he's talking about the church leaders. They're teaching them Torah. They're teaching him the law. They're teaching Bible. And he's saying, you are making him twice as much a son of hell as you are. See that terminology? Jesus actually associates an attribute of your identity based upon how you're brought into salvation. The fear of hell. The reliance upon self. How about the fear of hell? I remember my brother who has had a crazy journey, even being in a Christian home. Smartest man I've ever known. I remember arguing with him about the existence of God. He went to Dartmouth. He's like uber, uber smart. I remember arguing him about like the existence of God and like I, I enrolled myself like in uh, apologetics and then I enrolled myself in like intelligent design and I was like aiming on myself to be like fully equipped in my mind to debate him. I was like, I'm going to come after him. I'm going to pepper him all my questions and, and because he's just like wandering, he's like, I don't know. Like, I, I just, I don't know. i really into science. Science explains a lot. The Bible doesn't. I'm just stuck. It's like, I don't know what I believe. And I got to the point where it's like, even if there is no heaven, that's fine. But what if there is a hell? Wouldn't you rather be safe than sorry? It's like, wouldn't you rather take the chance and not burn in hell? That was the best way I could push someone to Jesus at that time. <laughs> that's not salvation by Jesus. That's salvation by hell. It's actually creating someone that's saving their soul through hell. Could that be what Jesus is saying? Made you twice as much a son of hell as you? It's pretty intense stuff. And I remember actually, in preparing this, I actually remember the words that brought me to salvation. I've joked that I've actually been saved about 20 or 30 times. <laughs> and I was like, oh, 
I never knew why. It's like, maybe just as like insecure. I actually know exactly why now. Out of 10, like the things like the power team, out of 10 things like, you know, um, and no, some of you guys don't know this, but it's like really buff guys like ripping phone books for Jesus. So it was cool back then, okay? So Sonic Flood, like, you know, I had all the, the good stuff. But I remember the words that actually brought me to salvation. I, I, I was the easiest target ever. All you had to say was, if you died tonight, where would you go? If you died tonight, where would you go? Would you be with Jesus or would you be with Satan burning? I don't want to burn. I was just like all about it. I could care less about Jesus. I just didn't want to go to hell. And so every single time that there's a message of, if you knew, if you're going to die tonight, where would you go? Anytime I heard that, I'm like, you can never be too safe. (laughs) That's why I got saved like 30 times. When you fear hell that much, you're like, you can't be too careful on this. I can't have any, like, margin of error here. I literally could care less about cultivating deep relationship with Jesus. I just didn't want to be with the pitchfork dude in hell. That's all I knew. And to me at that time, Jesus was simply the person driving the bus from hell to heaven. I got saved through hell. How about you? It's funny that in my chasing to Jesus, I'm like really looking back, terrified for my life. And every single time I hear those words, I'm like, yeah, I actually can go back to that fear. I can actually go back to that. I didn't get saved by Jesus. I was running from hell my entire life. Now think of it this way. What if came on my wife said, oh, I don't love you. I just don't want to be single and die alone. I'm like, it's right here, baby. It feels, maybe we can put that in my, like, Valentine's Day card or something. I mean, like, but isn't that, in essence, if you got saved like I did with running from hell, essentially, like, God, I could care less about you. I just didn't want to sizzle. That's all. How affirming is that to God who's like, I sent my son to die for you. And you're just glad that you're not going to be in hell. That's all I get? Now here's a worse metaphor, but probably a more accurate representation. My little girl, she's three years old. She's talking up a storm now. It's crazy. It blows my mind. We have a special bond and a special relationship. She's got full-on conversations, highly opinionated, just like me and her mother. And what if you were to say, Scarlett, why do you love your daddy so much? She's like, because he doesn't light me on fire. <laughs> you would, like, call CPS. You'd be like, I don't know what's wrong with that home, but something's very wrong. But is that not the exact scenario? Why do you love God? Because I'm not going to hell. Now, you would say, my wife, neither my wife nor my daughter have any relationship with me. None. It's all through proximity what, what's not going to happen. That's not relationship. 
When you think about your salvation, was it fear-based or was it love-based? If it was fear-based, I challenge you tonight to form a new relationship that's love-based. And so, I was terrified of hell. What I wanted to do is I was like, I was drawn by fear into the scriptures. And you know what happened? In my fear, running to the scriptures, I actually found that God is love. It's like, huh, Jesus isn't all that bad. He's kind of a cool guy. And I, be, I began to ex- have myself exposed to people who taught the Bible, who like brought together the character and the life of Jesus. And, and, and for the very first time, I started to know God as like, hey, that kind of like, that's a really important. And I actually remember the, the, the time I had my first supernatural encounter. I um, Fun fact about me here. In my freshman year of college, I played uh, jazz piano for a black Pentecostal church. Worship would go for like 18 hours. <laughs> and like the lead singer guy's up there and like he's like, you know, dancing around and I'm like back there on the keys. And I, I can like take, I can remember this so vividly. It's like, we've been singing for two hours and he would like do this. I'm like, no, <laughs> let it end. You know, he's like jumping around, like looking, he's like, no. I was like trying to like end it off. <clears throat> but there is a point to this story. The pastor, oh, could he preach? And, and I was like, I want angry preaching. You know, he's like feisty black guy who just, he just gives you the word. And he's like on fire. I'm like, I want angry black preacher, man. Like I just, I loved it. And then one day he completely read my mail. He's like, and he actually, it's like, I see you. And he actually told me everything about a place I'd recently been. He even told me the color of, like, the room I was in. I was like, what's happening? He basically confirmed that, A, God is supernatural real now, and B, that God was like, hey, uh, you've known me, but you don't know me. Those are my words, not his. But that was the point. That was the first time that it actually connected that, wow, this salvation thing, it's actually not necessarily about me I mean, we can talk about the theology of hell some other time. The point is that God designed me to be reconciled in relationship with him. That was the whole point. It's like, what does real relationship look like? And it was this verse, it was John 17, 3, says, This is eternal life that you would know God. This is eternal life that you would know God. Not, this is eternal life, you're not in hell. Eternal life is you knowing God. And I remember so vividly, too, Britt Merrick, who's my kind of college pastor, who had like a service kind of like this, and he paralleled these passages. He's like, it's not just this no. It's not like, oh, I know a fact no. He's like, this is actually a very rare word which relates to Genesis chapter 4, verse 1, where it's Adam knew Eve. He's like, this is like the G-rated for sexual innuendo. Adam knew Eve. You know what I'm saying? You know, like, that's, that's what it means. It's a sexual no. It's an intimacy no. But the Bible to, like, protect the minds that Adam knew Eve. And basically, when John 17, 3 says, this is eternal life, that you would know God. Wow. Come on. That you would know God. 
And so then it became like earth is just the first phase of eternal life. If you've received Jesus in your life, you're actually already in eternal life. You're in the first phase of eternal life. But it was around 19 or 20 for me is that that switch changed. I, I went from fear-based, hell running away from Eric to, wow, the creator of the universe actually designed to have a relationship with me, Eric. I was able to transition my faith from fear-based to love-based slowly, but I was able to do it. But that was me. And sadly, many Christians that are saved from hell will likely begin their relationship with Jesus in heaven. How about that for a bummer? You can be saved the entire life here on earth, and then you begin your relationship when you're face-to-face with him in heaven. He's like, uh, I know this is awkward. Nice to meet you. I mean, like, right? I call this like the fire insurance salvation, where we are scared enough about hell that we buy the fire insurance to get us into heaven, but we don't go any farther than that. And so if you did the fire insurance pledge to get into heaven but never developed a relationship with Jesus, I challenge you and welcome you into examining what does a love relationship with God look like? It doesn't happen overnight. You guys can date and court. You know, court? You guys can examine and... and, and examine. You, you can grow and learn what does it look like for me to know God? And he can break that fear-based association if I'm escaping hell. So how do you know if you're in that boat? How do you know if your salvation was based upon you purely avoiding hell? The Bible tells us to look at the fruit. Every good tree bears good fruit. Every bad tree bears bad fruit. From the fruit tree comes the fruit. and We can tell a lot about the tree from the fruit. And so there are two ways, I think, that you can tell if someone signed up for the fire insurance. Number one is that they have God, they profess Jesus, but remain unchanged. If you bought the fire insurance salvation, you have Jesus on your Facebook, you probably have a Jesus bumper sticker somewhere, you are going to church, you profess God, you're like... Jesus and I are cool. I've known him forever. And you remain unchanged. In fact, probably you wound up worse. You might have just bought the insurance policy. Here's why. is because it takes a lot not to be changed by Jesus. It takes a lot of effort not to be changed by Jesus. The scriptures tell us in 2 Corinthians 5, 17 that you are a new creation. When you're saved, you're like, zap! You're a new creation. People are like, uh... Not a whole lot. Here's what I believe, is that whatever you were saved by, whether by love or whether by fear, that will be the manifestation of your new creation. Whatever you were saved by, whether love or fear, that will be the manifestation of your new creation. Meaning, if you were... Saved in fear. I believe the new creation will be fear-based. and actually will manifest fear more. But if you are saved in love, I believe the new creation will be found in love and you'll manifest love more. The second thing is that they have God. This is how do you know if you might have bought the insurance, fire insurance policy. They have God, but fear losing their salvation. I've read the Bible all over. I've 
looked up this very topic because I, remember fear-based Eric? I was terrified. I pledged my life to Jesus 30 times. I was a little afraid that I was going to lose my salvation. So I know a little bit about the topic. But you have God, but you have this continual fear, I'm going to lose my salvation. If your salvation was accomplished through fear, the chances are that fear will rule your security of your salvation. And you actually be totally insecure about your salvation. It's the same principle that you reap what you sow. If you were brought into the kingdom through fear of burning, you will remain fear of burning in the kingdom. Because that's what brought you in. And this answers the question I've always wanted to know. If Jesus is the Prince of Peace, how do we have all these Christians who have no peace? How do you have some of the most miserable human beings like actually love Jesus? love Jesus and call themselves a Christian. So you're like, kind of like, no, don't, no, no, not him to tell him about Jesus. That's a terrible example. Like, you know that? Like, there's some people that, I know you got Jesus, but don't tell anybody, because they'll think that they'll catch what you have, you know? Is that just me? Come on. That's right. Amen. Amen. Now, if you were saved into fear, you will never experience peace until you decide to change the relationship of your relationship with God from fear to love. Now, the fruit of a love-based relationship is security. The fruit of a love-based relationship is security and safety and rest. Can and I, we have our challenges like any other couple in the, the universe, but there's safety and security. I'm at peace in my relationship with her. Relationship with Jesus. I'm at peace. I'm at rest. I, I feel secure. I feel like whatever happens in my day, I'm a son. So what do all these Christians who got saved by hell and saved by fear do? They'll react in one of two ways. And tell me if this sounds familiar, but this is actually rooted in biology. A gentleman named Walter Bradford Cannon, his theory states, if there's any bio majors here, that animals, when faced with fear, produce a general discharge of the sympathetic nervous system, priming the animal to... Wow. Exactly. That's where we get fight or flight. It's a biological response to fear. Now, a person saved in fear, rooted in fear, fear-based relationship with God, I believe they're going to behave in one of these two ways, fight or flight. What does it mean to fight in this context? Your fear of hell and of your own righteousness will drive you into a never-ending cycle of religious self-improvement. The fight reaction to your fear-based salvation is that, I got to be better. I got to be better. I can improve. I I have to contribute to my salvation. You get on this religious treadmill of self-improvement. It says, I need to be a little bit better. 
And these people cling to any shred of self-righteousness they have in order to partially deserve heaven. Have you ever met someone who has like an unusual... Um, they have an unusual ability to feel proud for something they haven't done? I was like that too. I was like, I didn't have my first drink of alcohol ever until I was 21. And my wife gave it to me, which is great. But I was like, I was ruled and like defined by like, I've never fill in the blank. I was trying to contribute to my own salvation by making sure that I had a part of I could control and it would at least kind of help nudge me into heaven at the least. And so I was obsessed with self-righteousness because I was fear-based. But here's the thing, is that if you are self, if you are obsessed about self-righteousness and you beat yourself down about your own self-righteous failures, you will do the same about everybody around you. How on earth do we have Christians who pick it? And their signs don't say Jesus loves you. Like, how do we have the events that we have, how do we shoot our wounded? Have you guys heard and noticed like this huge pastor in, in the Northwest um, that fell and like all this other stuff? And like all like these blood-sucking Christians come out of the woodwork. And it's like, what? this is how the body responds to failure in the church? Man, I hope nobody that's unsaved sees this. I'm, I'm saying that it's a good question, and maybe a little off topic, but it's here. It's, it's um, Proverbs 25, 24, 16. A righteous man falls seven times but gets back up again. We're defined by how we rebound, how we get back up, not how we fall. And so I think that the church had an awesome opportunity to show that here's what restoration looks like. But this is how we get Christians who try to police the world. Is, is, is while they're busy trying to police everybody else, the real root of it is fear of themselves. They're really terrified of their own sin. And so what they do is they're actually policing the world out of their own fear. What about flight? Fight or flight? How does flight and escape relate to this? Is that if you are fear-based in your relationship with God, then you're going to shut down. If you don't fight and try to justify yourself through self-improvement, you just shut down. The fear of yourself, the fear of God, the fear of heaven, the fear of hell, the fear of like, what if I don't do this? It'll paralyze you. Anybody know a paralyzed Christian who just like, they're terrified? Especially men, older men in this generation. Not this generation, but our generation. Older men who like, the feeling I get from older men is like, I just want to escape life unnoticed and just have a quiet entrance into heaven. The alternative to these fear-based relationships is converting your fear-based relationship with God into a love-based relationship. I'm running out of time, but let me just tell you how I did it. For me, it was asking the question, when I feel the most alive, what am I doing? When I feel the most alive, like, man, I can just feel blood like... In my veins, I feel like I'm on the edge of my humanity. Like, I just feel alive. What am I doing when I feel those things? You know, Epic Life, our name, it got its name from John 10.10, the promise that you will have abundant life. 
not sucky, lame life, abundant life. And so the notion came as like, whatever I do that gives me this euphoria of like, I'm alive, that passion and that, that moment must be partnered with Jesus. And so I began to intersect my passions with my purpose with Jesus. What is your favorite way to connect spiritually? There's certain songs, I don't know about you, but when I'm driving here, I'm like, kind of like getting in my zone, like I'll turn on certain songs because they get me. They put me in that, that, like that mindset. They like make me aware. Is there certain songs, is there certain styles, is there certain things that like get you jazzed up to like just be around God and, and to be interested in God? Is it music? Is it nature? Is it solitude? Is it food? I don't know. Something. The other thing is I got curious about God too. After I realized that I'm just not on the bus from hell to heaven, I got very curious about Jesus. The question is like, does everything happen for a reason? What is the will of God? Does God give and take away? Like all these things, don't get me started because I've preached on those about a million times already. But it drew me into his character and his nature and it just, it just brought me to life. And so on this journey, as you do things like that, that's what worked for me, is that you'll begin to develop to know God in a different way. And you actually will begin to know him as you were designed to. And when you know God, you know his desires. And when you know God's desires, you know his desires for you to reign in this world here and now. And when you know that God desires you to reign and to rule powerfully now, you know that he has given you power. And when you learn that he's given you power, you realize that you have a choice. And when you realize you have a choice, you realize that you are actually partnered with God in the transformation and the redemption of the world. And when you realize that, you realize your life is pretty darn important. And you better display strength and take action. That's what I have for you guys tonight. So I'm going to ask uh, Waterbury to come up, but I just want to end with this. And the band, please, I'm sorry I didn't give you forewarning, is um, it's just to ask yourself, are you fear-based or are you love-based? If, you if you're running from hell and you got into relationship with Jesus from running from hell, that's totally fine. You're saved. Like, let me like, affirm that. I, I believe that you're saved. But you're setting yourself up to have a pretty mediocre relationship with God. So if that's you, we're going to have our ministry um, prayer team up here, and, and all of us are equipped to pray for you in that, but um, don't leave this place if you need to have an alternate of your course of your relationship with God. Thank you. Thank you, Eric.